correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey folks, welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm Steve, and over there is Steve. Hello. Uh, how are you doing tonight, Steve? Oh, pretty good. Good to hear. Good Almost to hear. as good as the Genesis archives. Oh, oh you're, you're jumping the shark here, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Genesis Archive is another podcast here on the D20 Radio Network. GM Jonathan and his uh, intrepid band of castmates. Well, it's an actual play podcast. They use the Genesis system primarily, and I believe most of their work thus far anyway has been in their Unseen World setting, which is actually a really cool setting. You can get it on uh, the Foundry, actually, on drive through if you're curious about it but it's um i would call it uh folklore based modern fantasy urban fantasy set in las vegas i think is the best way to describe it very cool show i haven't listened to them in a little bit but yeah really good stuff yeah awesome check that out of course you know check out d20radio.com for all sorts of other gaming geekery goodness blog articles and all that fun stuff but with that being that we have a guest this evening and a requested guest at that. Yes, we do. <laughs> so um, requested by uh, one of our listeners and, and actually one of our Patreon supporters. Tonight, we're going to talk with Alan Barr from Gallant Night Games, who, well, if you're listening to this right after we release it, you could still get in on the Kickstarter that they have going for, is, I believe it's called Tiny Cyberpunk. Is that correct? Okay. Which is uh, obviously a cyberpunk game genre very near and dear to the steve's hearts and mm-hmm. uh but also gallant night games just makes a lot of cool stuff so figured it would be a good chance to get to talk with a creator that we haven't talked with yet and learn about some stuff so uh, welcome to the show alan thank you for having me so yeah uh, as of currently your kickstarter is is well and funded has at the time this releases about i think it'll have about 16 hours left on it okay so it, but we we talked about that before, so run you know. don't walk. <laughs> uh, yeah, talk to us a little bit about. I guess maybe do we do we just start off with with what Gallant Knight Games is and does? Yeah, I think that's as uh, good a place as any to start the conversation. So, for listeners who do not know me, which is probably most of you, I am Alan Barr. I run, own, operate alongside my wife. Uh, Gallant Night Games, a indie RPG publishing company. I have been doing this for about 10 years. Gallant Night Games has been uh, my, com- my company. I mean, I started it. It's always been my company. But it's been where I release my games for the last seven or so. And uh, I also do work for other companies like Steamforge Games. Uh, Osprey Games has several of my RPGs that have come out and various other places. Okay. So, you know, I'm a little all over the board, but I make a lot of RPGs and love RPGs. So, well, that sounds like the type of person we like to talk to. So, oh, I'm glad I fit the bill. <laughs> now, 
is is it fair to call Tiny D6 your flagship line? I think that's absolutely fair. Tiny D6. I mean, so, I mean, on the strictly uh, logical level, uh, Galenite is my full-time job. Um, and Tiny D6 provides a bulk of the income that allows it to be my full-time job. So, irregardless of anything else, it is absolutely our flagship. Um, <laughs> because as long as it lets me eat, it will remain the flagship. There you go. There you go. I'm a very now, practical person. <laughs> so I honestly, I, I've known about Tiny D6 for a while, but I honestly have never really looked into it. I've always sure. kind of assumed that it is based out of the former WEG, now Open D6 system, or is that completely incorrect? Completely incorrect. Okay. It's a unique system, um, which it's ironic that that comes up because Gallant Night Games is actually the developer and official licensee of Weston Games for a new D6 second edition. Uh, so we can talk about that later. I don't want to get bogged down <laughs> with that. Uh, but we did the Zorro RPG powered by a version of our new D6 2E, basically. Okay. There's been a lot of iterations of D6. We're just calling it 2E because nothing's ever been called 2E before. And it's a nice, you know, kind of way to draw a line. Well, true. Cause, well, there was the second edition of Star Wars. Right, but it wasn't D6 system 2E, right? So Correct, correct, yeah. Which is kind of what we're going with as a new generic rule set. Anyway, we're going to move past that. That's a whole podcast on its own. <laughs> but when I started, Gallant Eye Games was working with Nocturnal Media, which was owned by Stuart Wick, and they owned West End Games. And so I was doing Tiny D6 stuff, and our Tiny D6 graphic designer designed the new logo for West End Games Open D6 system. And so the logos actually look similar, but it, it's a way of uh, what we were doing informing them because we worked together. I was employed I by them and I had these resources we pulled in rather than me pulling from them per se. With the only, the only similarity is we both use D6s. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I, like I said, if that's, if that's the criticism, I mean, then you have shadow run, you have to throw in there. You know, there's a lot of us who like our D6s. So hey, look, the first game I ever, ever played was second edition Weg Star Wars. So it was a classic. We still we still break that out regularly at my house and in my game group. So, so I guess you know where do you want to start? Do you want to talk a little yeah. bit about the mm -hmm. system itself, and then a little bit about yeah. the cyberpunk version of it? Or yeah, let's uh, let's roll with the what makes Tiny D six you know unique or special or something people might be interested in. Right. Uh, Tiny D six is as we bill it a minimalist game system. Now a lot of people assume minimalist means as little as possible. And to me, the definition from Dieter Rams, who, if you know Dieter Rams from designing like the classic brawn uh, UI for like razors and those radios in the 50s through the 80s. Okay. Uh, Dieter Rams is a famous industrial designer. I'm a big fan of his. But the, uh, the idea of minimalist is you reduce it to the minimum amount necessary, not remove everything, right? Mm -hmm. So our goal is to look at what makes an RPG work and say, what do we absolutely need to function? And then to do that by genre, because every genre has different requirements. And so we released these genre books of which Tiny Cyberpunk is one, but we've done Cthulhu, Supers, Sci-Fi, uh, Fantasy, uh, Gunslingers, uh, all kinds of stuff. And so we say, we have this, we have this basic chassis, the Tiny D6 system, and then we go, what is the minimum stuff we need to add to make it work for the genre? So the basic system is really simple. Uh, you just need one, two, or three six-sided dice, and your character sheet has what are called traits on there, and they tell you what you are good at. And and they're specific, like Strong says, you have advantage when you are doing strength-based tasks, right? 
Mm-hmm. And so when you do something, normally you roll 2d6. If either dice shows a five or a six, you are successful. Good to go. Move on. If no dice show five or six, you failed. Move on. Um, advantage gives you a third dice. Disadvantage gives, makes it so you only roll one dice. That's it. Okay. As long as any dice is a five or six, you're good to go. Okay. Um, and so, you know, obviously with three dice, you're more likely to get that five or six. You don't, there's no counting successes as long as one dice is a five or six. You're good to fall three hours. Same effect. There's no bonus to extras. It's just the probability changes. Mm-hmm. And so, but we do things like all attacks do one damage or two damage. Like they're, they're fixed rather than rolling for damage because in our mind, you know, again, that's a minimalist game. You don't need to roll for damage, right? Mm-hmm. The interesting decisions, decisions are more interesting when you have as much information as possible because then you can make the most interesting choice. Right. And so by removing all the roles that we can throughout the game and streamlining the mechanics down, you know, your character can fit on a three by five note card. I have taught you the whole game. Like we could play now and you would not have any questions other than maybe a couple things about combat. Like every every mechanic in the game revolves around that one, two or three role. Uh, All attacks are one or two damage. Your character is their like archetype and then three traits and a weapon they're good with. Boom, we're done. Okay. And so when you pick up a tiny D6 game, you're getting that base chassis then modified with the additional stuff to make it fit a genre. So for, you know, Tiny Cthulhu, we add we had corruption, uh, sort of uh, we had we had stuff for traveling to different environments. We had monsters, we had cults, we had magic tomes, things like that. For Tiny Supers, we had a superpower chassis. We have like vehicles and hideouts and all that stuff. Right. So for Tiny Cyberpunk, we've added cyberware we've added hacking we've added drones added a bunch of like these subsystems that make the cyberpunk genre what it is okay so so you basically you've got three traits and you said you don't use like a skill system at all nope. the traits tell you what you're good at it's supposed to be sort of a cinematic high action thing like heroes are pretty competent in tiny d6 you just get out there and do your thing okay i you know there was a time not that long ago would i would have went man, I feel like I need more meat. But as I've said a few times recently on the show, and, and Steve has participated in some of these too, we've recently played some, you know, like 200-word challenge games or little one-page games that really have very little in the way of actual rules, but they lean so heavily into the themes that you just, like, go with the theme and do what seems fun, and it it's a blast. And it feels like that's kind of the direction you're trying to steer in in a way yeah i mean i think that's absolutely fair and i certainly think that's true like for me i've learned as i've gotten older that i just want to play and as i as i work more and more as an adult you know i have less time to make a thousand maps and write up all these adventures so something where i can onboard people easily and hit the genres i want makes it really easy and you know tiny six fills that niche it's great for cons it's great for your home game it's great for if you're just teaching some friends how to play my goal is to make it as easy to onboard into Tiny D6 as possible. Okay. All of our genre books are, we try to be as complete as possible. So they usually have the rule set in there, which isn't hard. It's like 30 pages, right? And then we have the genre stuff and then we'll do settings or adventures. But our goal is to get everybody in as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. No, no, it sounds cool. I, I feel like, and and you know, both of us come from a pretty heavy background in you know Cyberpunk 2020 in particular. Uh, sure. But the, the cyberpunk genre to me feels like it could have pre- presented some real unique challenges to a minimalist system because there's, it, uh, it's absolutely cyberpunk is a gear game. 
is oh, absolutely a reason it's this late in the development cycle of Tiny D6 that you're getting Tiny Cyberpunk. Absolutely. I was not good enough to tackle it when I was doing the earlier stuff. Yeah, and I, I'm just curious, you know, like how, because obviously it sounds like, you know, for the most part, yeah, you have a weapon you're good with, whatever, yep. but half, you know, like, look, Cyberpunk 2020 had a million and six splat books, mm -hmm. half of which were just gun gear. catalogs. Yeah. You know, and it was a great game. It was very evocative. Oh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of amazing things about it, but I, I am kind of curious how how do you approach that from this sure. minimalist perspective? Well, so I, you know, to me, the question is one of what you want from your gear, right? And and not every game will satisfy everybody. And so if, if you want to pour over extensive lists of guns and options that have detailed reasons, they're different and like specific prices over I'm never going to fit that bill for you here. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to fit that bill. You know, Cyberpunk 2020 shadow run, all those other games already exist. They got you covered. And they're great games. Like, just get out there and do that, right? Mm -hmm. If you if you want something where you can have your gun look as cool as you want, but not have to learn a bunch of new mechanics to use it, well, then Tiny Cyberpunk's your game, right? Mm -hmm. Is it a is it a little weapon or is it a big weapon? That's the question. What it does, what it shoots, how it works after that is all a matter of sort of visual narrative or uh, trappings, right? Mm -hmm. Use a Savage Worlds term. It's just this. It's a big gun. It does damage. Like that's what you need to know, right? How long does it take to reload? Okay. And so what we what I've done is I've tried when we design Tiny D6, I try to present these new things not as differences in weapons, but differences of tactical choices or options during gameplay, right? Combat is simple, but you have six or seven specific actions you can take that each do a different thing. And so you know what they always do, but they are different enough and they are unique enough that you can get a really engaged tactical game inside a minimalist system. Taking cover mm -hmm. matters, right? Uh, things like that. And so with the gear, cyberware and guns and stuff, they tend to present new ways to play the game rather than extensive reworking of the core mechanic or a lot of detail. This gun forces your opponent to make a save or be knocked down. Well, that's different. There's not a thing that does that in the game, right? Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. And so I focus more on... How can we show that it's different without having to adjust the game system or add a bunch of rules you have to remember? It should be something you can look at quickly, keep on that three by five note card and roll forward. Okay. I, I mean, I like the approach here. I'm definitely going to have to look into to some of these, you know, whether it be the, the cyberpunk or, or some of the other ones, because it sounds like you're, you're trying to distill it again, as you said, minimalist, but kind of to the essence of what you need to know and then build the rest out as flavor and, and imagination at the table, as opposed to pages of stats that you have to do accounting for. Yeah. That's kind of, for me, I like to play and I like to be able, I like interesting choices, but I don't need them to be so detailed that I have to stop playing to make a decision. Right. Um, and which is, which is kind of funny to hear because I actually really like really crunchy games. A lot of the games we play at my house are very much the opposite of tiny D six just because it's a nice break for me. And I like all those choices too, right? So there, there's different niches and people want to play different ways. But a lot of my players, they are very much rules light people. They, if we had all the rules, they'd forget them anyway. <laughs> and so something where we can go, just roll. Like you pick what level of the three it's on, roll, doom, move on, right? That that works really well for my group and us. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, clearly based on the success of the Tiny Dix line, there's a lot of people who feel that way and it's working for them too. Mm-hmm. So now when you say you have traits, 
are there like a a fixed list of traits that yes. you pick three out of? Yep. So uh, for Tiny Cyberpunk as an example, you pick an archetype, and that archetype kind of would be like mechanic, engineer, uh, soldier, whatever, like your job or your profession or kind of what defines you. And that gives you a specific trait. And then you pick three more off a generic list. So you will have roughly four traits. Some characters have ways to get more. And as you play the game, obviously, you acquire more. That's the leveling up mechanic. Okay. Now, cause like, I didn't know if it was like that or if it was kind of like the the aspects in Fate or, sure. or something like that. No, where... they, they are strictly designed, um, but aspects is a good way to look at it. They are functionally predefined aspects that say you get advantage on X. Or they give you a new action that you can take, like the doctor or combat medic in Tiny Cyberpunk is what it's called. Mm -hmm. um, the combat medic gives you a special action to heal people. That's what it does, right? Whereas that's not an action anybody else can take. And so rather than, you know, give an advantage, it just says you get this action option, right? So yeah, now you have to learn a new action, but it's one and, it, and there's only seven actions in combat. So now we have eight as anybody can learn eight actions, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so... And and the basic of anything is generally make a 2D6 test. So even if it's just the thing that you get out of it is going to be different. Mm -hmm. And so there's like 40 or 50 of these. And then in Tiny Cyberpunk, we break them down into what we call cyberware traits, which are a unique to Tiny Cyberpunk group of traits that have other options that represent uh, cybernetic limbs, upgrades to your body, uh, potential gear. They can be applied to a lot of things, right? And then we also have a set of traits that allow you to have drones, control drones, modify how you hack, things like that. So there's a lot more traits than a normal Tiny D6 game. And there's a lot more interaction in how these traits work than a normal Tiny D6 game. This and supers are very much sort of the, they have a lot more options just because those genres require a lot more specific things. I got to make traits for all the superpowers, right? Like we don't have a trait that does like pheromone control in normal Tiny D6. So I got to add that. Um, <laughs> And so Tiny Cyberpunk allows us to do kind of the same thing, but rather than going tall, like we do in uh, Tiny Supers, where traits stack and they get better the more you take it to represent like levels of superpowers, uh, Tiny Cyberpunk goes wide in that there is a lot of trait options, but they don't stack per se. Okay. And I'm assuming then too, at least with, with like Tiny Cyberpunk, you would have, I'm going to call them opposed traits that NPCs or villains or whatever might have that directly counter uh, a, a, some other given trait. Um, yeah. I mean, so the way firewall and hacking work is a little different here, right? So that obviously has its own interaction sort of game mode, just because you have to, there's, there's no way around that per se. It still uses the basic tests. We still try to keep it as stripped down as possible. Like you make a hacking test, and if you're successful, next turn you can execute one of the four hacking action options. And if you fail, instead you suffer whatever the firewall has as a kickback because you've failed, right? The firewall like attacks you back. Mm -hmm. um, but villains are built with the same rules. Most enemies are like a number for their hit points, the weapons they're good with, and then they maybe have one or two regular player traits like die hard or something, right? Um, but that's it. That's all they have. Like it, it's really easy to kind of scale with and because damage is static you can sort of build an enemy how long do i want this combat to go well players get two actions a turn and attack will do one or two damage so i need to make them this big a pile of hit points to make them feel like a threat or whatever mm -hmm. and so the math the a lot of the math that a gm would need is really obvious 
Whereas the math that makes it work from a game design level is a lot more hidden because of the minimalism. Mm -hmm. Now, it sounds like what you, what you briefly described your hacking system there. It actually sounds like a very functional hacking system for a game, which as a fan of the genre, I will say is rather difficult to pull off, I think. Yeah. Hacking is hard. Uh, it's It took me a long time to get something I was happy with. And I was... Ironically, a lot of the inspiration in terms of just like the feel of it is derived from the Netrunner LCG, which I was an, was and am an avid fan of. Mm -hmm. Because in Netrunner, when you make a run, you hit the firewall. And if you don't break it, the firewall has these bad things that happen to you. And there's a list of them. Right. And I was like, well, that's a really easy way to do it. You, you try to hack the thing. If you succeed next turn, you can do one of the special hack actions. If you fail, the firewall does something to you. Boom, we're done. You know, and there's some restrictions like you have to ha be within a certain range of it um, unless you have an upgrade or you do a specific thing. And that's mostly like I don't I don't want a game necessarily where the hacker is off playing their own mini game while the rest of the group waits. I want it to feel active like you're a team. A lot of cyberpunk stuff to me should feel like a bit like a heist movie and that every team member has a role They are, You know, you have your Ocean's Eleven, right? This guy's job is he's small and athletic and can fold up inside the box. This guy's job is that he's good at talking, right? This guy's the driver. This guy's the hitter, right? And so that's kind of the a cyberpunk crew should sort of feel like that a little bit in my book. But I don't want the hacker to necessarily ha be able to sit back in the van. They can. And there, there are mechanics for that. If you want to play a hacker who can sit at home and help the team by hacking, good to go. Um, and you can do that. But it requires some investment in building that way because the equipment you need is specialized. And we represent that with traits. And the drawback is if you fail and there's a kickback where the computer system traces your location, well, you're alone now when the corporate thugs arrive with their guns. <laughs> right. And so there's some drawbacks to being flying solo. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, well, I like this. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to cut to a little bit of the chase here because, okay. Yeah. I can still right now because we're talking almost a week in advance of when this will release. Yeah. Uh, I can, Go back to Kickstarter. It will end, not when it will release. I well, <laughs> yes, I should. Okay. Yes. Clarify that. Oh. Yes. I can go okay. back to Kickstarter because I still have almost a week. Yes. And you should, well, by the way. Let, let's say that uh, <laughs> we've got a listener that just by chance, they have a, a really long day and they put us on to listen to their drive home from work approximately, oh, 15 or 20 minutes after the Kickstarter has sure. campaign has closed. Yes. Uh, we will down the road, we won't be able to do it right away after the Kickstarter is closed because these things take time. We will have a pre-order option up. And the best way to find that is to go to the GallantNightGames.com website and sign up for our newsletter or to like follow us on Facebook or Blue Sky or something like that. Okay. And, okay. and we'll, we'll announce that stuff and we'll post on the Kickstarter in a public update. So you'll just have, until the pre-orders go live, you'll just kind of have to keep an eye out. Like there's, unfortunately, there's not a lot of ways to make that easier because you have that two-week period where you can't do much to take pre-orders or get attention, you know. So, unfortunately, there will be a bit of a dry period. But if you and if you just want to buy it when it comes out, well, hopefully it'll be out by the summer next year, barring any unusual issues. Um, and you'll be able to get it on drive through our web store, game stores, conventions. I mean, it'll be all the normal places. Cool, cool. All right, Steve, I know you've got to have some questions here because this is yeah, your jam I, as much as it's mine. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> one of the things I want to call out about specifically Tiny Cyberpunk. So I played, boy, I played a little bit. And when I say a little bit, like it was like an hour, two hour session of some Tiny D6 uh emulating uh we'll just call it uh high fantasy <laughs> it was a friend of mine that was like i want to run something that's kind of like D, but not D, and i was like hey you i am down for that every day of the sure. week yeah yeah um Wait, there's no shame in that tiny dungeon is a high fantasy rules like game that does a lot of what D does i'm right it's and it was great i loved it it's awesome Ooh. i love how i love how straightforward the system is i love I'm a sucker for those those games where everything fits on a post-its, you know, on a business card. Like, give me a a index. I mean, index card. Give me an index card with all my information I need. I'm good to go. Hey, that's awesome. Uh, The thing I want to call out about Tiny Cyberpunk is, man, your art is freaking awesome. Thanks. That Uh, art is fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) So Nicholas Giacondino is the artist doing all the art for the book. Nick is a. I've been working with Nick for almost a decade. We're good friends because we've been working together so long. He does almost, he's done all the art for Tiny D6 books for years now, aside from a few specifics. Like he didn't do Tiny Dungeon and he didn't do Mechas and Monsters. And that was primarily due to Mechas and Monsters predated him. So when we did the new edition, we went with the original artist again. And then uh, Tiny Dungeon, by the time I met Nick, that one was already well in progress. And I like to have a visual cohesive look down the line. And so, but he's in all the, he did the Cthulhu art, he did the Wastelands art, he did the Tiny Gunslingers, Tiny Living Dead, uh, all, all, almost every other tiny game is a Nick visual production there. Uh, and he is a big fan. Uh, Nick is an Argentinian artist. He's actually does a lot of RPG art and game art, but he also does a lot of comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, his training and his original work was in the comics medium. And he and I are both big comics fans and we're both big fans of old school Japanese cyberpunk manga. Um, I'm so noticing I, this. Yes. And so when I said, Hey, why don't we have you? I mean, he was always going to do the interior, but I was like, Hey, why don't we have you do the cover too? He's never done a cover for one of our big tiny D six books, mostly due to timing or what have you. And so some of these covers we'd commissioned years in advance. So just never kind of lined up where he could. And he was like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, and he sent me in a, he sent me a pitch for a cover. I was like, what do you want to draw? You know, kind of tell me, right. Here's, here's the theme of the game. Here's, kind of what I'm angling at. And he was like, well, and he sent me one thing. And then a couple days later, he's like, I changed my mind. I want to do this. And he was like, it's an homage to this manga and this artist. And I knew immediately who he was talking about. And I was like, I mean, I'm into that. Let's do it. And so everything has, uh, has really kind of gone from there. Uh, I keep pushing him to be more punk. Like for me, the emphasis in tiny tower punk is on the punk element, not the cyber um, which is probably an inversion a little bit from things like Cyberpunk 2020, which is very is very visually on sort of the the gear and being cool, right? But a little less on being punk in terms of fighting corporations and the big authority, right? And so for me, the uh, the the emphasis was I really want you to have that sort of energetic street level punk vibe. And so we actually use a lot of references from like the London and British 70s punk scenes. So I was like sending him pictures of old sex pistol shows and things like that. Like, hey, this, but sort of that cyberpunk manga in your style, you know, like I want this, I want that. Like, I want to meld these two things because I really want to have that sort of underground punk energy because in college I was very much in that scene. And yeah, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I, in looking at the images just of what you have up on the Kickstarter, 
I love the anime aesthetic of the exterior shots. So anime cities have a, a, a living feel to them. I think it has something to do with, with how Japanese cities are in general. But the anime cities in a lot of ways have a, a, a living organic like detail to them. And I'm noticing in the art that the exterior shots are gorgeous and lovingly drawn. And then the interiors are these super punk. Like I'm looking at the one of the rock concert. It's this super fast punk. Like you're hitting the nail on the head with this man. I, I love it. Uh, your artist is killing it. Killing it. Nick is fantastic. He cannot, I'm not going to say recommend him because if anybody else tries to work with him, I'll keep paying him more until he can't. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I do not speak highly of working with Nick enough. No, I, yeah, I hadn't actually looked at the art that closely, but yeah, I do. I like that. It's, it's kind of got that. It's also got that kind of retro nineties mm-hmm. vibe, you know, akin to, and stylistically, it's not the same, but like the, the vibe is very similar. Like a lot of the old Kevin Long stuff from Palladium, mm-hmm. sure. that, that black and white. I was sending him a lot of Soviet computer pieces. I'm like, make the cyberware look like this. I want it kind of blocky. I want it to look a little retro futurism, right? Like, here's what a Soviet computer looked like in the 70s. Do that, right? Like, nice, you know, let's nice, not nice. let's not just go all holograms and HUDs and things like let's. Sure, the corporation has all that because they have the money, but the people on the street who are making do with what they can dig out or find or scavenge, their stuff's going to look a little cobbled together. It's going to look like a mix of blocky and streamlined, and it shouldn't be perfectly cohesive. Yeah, I, 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 I dig, I dig the hell out of this. <laughs> um, so excited to get this. <laughs> this is, this is, yeah, I dig the hell out of this. This is going in the bag like as soon as it hits because. Steve knows I'm always I'm always the one to have a bunch of these like super easy grab it and go right just I love these type of games man I love them and and honestly everything I've seen from from you guys you make a quality ass quality game you really well, do. We try my my compass star is I started making games because I am a fan of role playing games they are a huge part of my life um it's the thing my wife and I bonded over before we were married it I've been playing them. I mean, I've been playing RPGs long enough that my RPG playing experience can go drink. And I'm not even old. Like <laughs> I, I've been playing since I was like 11, 10 and 11. Right. Like for me, you know, I've almost been designing RPGs half of the time I've been playing them at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are such an essential part of my life. The community, they build the people, the friends, like they aren't just a game. They are, a community building tool and experience that can make you better people more, you know, or a lot of things like they're like, they can be life changing if you want them to be. And I want our products, even though we're small and we're never perfect, we're always going to make mistakes, you know, but I want people who read our products and, you know, first of all, feel that passion for what we're doing. But second of all, feel like we are giving them a tool to build community and have an experience that brings them closer to people. And so when you see that and when you say that one, that means a lot to me because I put a lot of effort into that. We spend a lot of time working really hard to make our games as high quality as possible. We don't always hit the mark. I'll be the first to admit it. I am not my worst critic. There's some people on the Internet who are definitely worse critics of me than I am. (laughs) But uh, for the most part, I am one of my worst critics. And uh, it's nice to hear that there is some people, you know, picking up on what we're trying to do. I would just like to say hearing you say that that's kind of your 
your goal in designing games is really awesome because I think one, it's just, that's, that's what games are for, right? It, it is to get together with your friends, imagine and have fun. Yeah. And as a designer, basically you're just facilitating that. Yep. But I, I also, good. Th- I also think that like that outlook and that, mentality is is what really sets and this goes a little bit to you know like the episode that dropped today we had some conversations around this but that's the difference between independent games and the big corporate monolith you know sure i i know i know some people who work at the elephant in the room and i can assure you they have that passion even if the games aren't able to reflect that fully right Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the nature of anything, right? You know, like I know people who work at Marvel doing comics, and again, they have that passion for comics. You know, I I've written some comics. We just really, I just released my first comic recently. You know, and they have that passion too. They have as much of it or not more than I do. But again, the environment is different. I have the ability to make all the final decisions mm-hmm. because I own the company. I can do what I want. Uh, the the only hurdle being, well, I own the company, so I spend a lot less time doing creative work than I would like, and a lot more time doing, you know, business work. Well, you also shoulder all the risks involved with making said decision. Right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That is true. <laughs> you know, and, and look, like I, 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 but like I said, I really think that's the thing I love about these, you know, especially the really small indie games is is the passion that you can tell just goes into the designs. And and the content and and yeah. it it's so cool to hear again, so to speak. But you know that that's you know you just want people to have a good time with your stuff. And I don't know. I I think that's that's to be commended. Yeah. Well, thank you. I I really appreciate that. That means a lot. So I mean, what else do you want to to bring up while we're on the the tiny D yeah. six and cyberpunk and and all this? Because like I, I like you said the, the the retro thing to me that's a that's a big part like the retro futurism is is kind of what bites me in a good way with a lot of cyberpunk stuff and it's it's right. nice to see that you're leaning into that yeah it's a it's a balance and what I've tried to do is separate the I, this idea of the really high tech cyberpunk future from the retro future vibe with a, a sort of like class level inequality system right mm-hmm. like visually the people who are the top executives and the corporations are they're going to have the best stuff and it's going to look the sleekest and the nicest and the coolest and the most modern or futuristic right and so you know i don't want the whole game to feel retro future because i don't think that's realistic you know i'm I'm air quoting on around realistic right but in terms of consistent and logical world building it wouldn't make sense right Mm -hmm. like you look at you look at the people who had the cool apple watches first well now we know right and now, and now we all have that, and they've got even cooler Apple Watches, or they've got those new AI lapel pens they just came out with, things that they can wear like a Star Trek communicator, right? And so as, as stuff gets more common, the nicer stuff always rises to the top in a sense. And so visually, I want the art and the theme of the game to kind of show that. And so that the retrofuturism is a good way to show that delineation to me visually um, between the two, you know, sort of the two extremes of that spectrum. Mm-hmm. No, I, I get what you're saying, but it is, you know, the, the rich people always get the coolest new toys first, at least in bulk production. Right. So, 
Yeah, I, I um, let's see what else can we we go to? Maybe here? I should go over the different pledge levels for those who might yeah. have time to get in. Yes, I was actually thinking that. That's a Perfect. good idea. So you got the basic, which is the digital pledge level. Um, I think that's ten bucks. I don't have the Kickstarter in front of me. It's been a long day. Here, let me look it up. Um, I have it on my. Screen. I believe it's ten dollars, which is about right yep. because we normally retail our PDFs for fifteen to twenty, depending on the game and the size. So that's there. Um, you can, uh, the core book is $30 for the book plus PDF, which is screaming deal because that book is going to be 40 bucks and you're getting the PDF on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an offset print hardcover black and white interior, hopefully 150 to 200 pages when we're done. It just depends how much we're, we're not doing stretch goals, but what we're doing is we're taking the extra funding money. And we're doing bonuses. Like, I don't want to, I'm kind of like trying to, instead of locking us into something where costs might change or we might get you know, hosed on the back end. My goal is to say, we want to do extra stuff, but we also have to run a business and make a living. So as we finish the project, we're going to look at all these cool things. You know, we'll probably do some adventures and backers will keep getting stuff. But instead of locking it in, the more we raise, the more I can kind of put money into places, right? Like we got VTC tokens now. Nick's drawing a bunch of digital virtual tabletop tokens for Tiny Cyberpunk that we're going to release to backers and then sell after that. We've got reference cards. You don't need them to play. They're just references. But if you wanted to have all your little hacking actions on a reference card in front of you, you'll get that in print digital. Or if you're the deluxe backer, you're going to get that in print. And so then the third level and the final level is the deluxe backer level. You're getting the book. You get a bag to store it in. These are handcrafted, handmade bags from a local seamstress we work with. This is the last Kickstarter we're doing the bags. on. we've done them since we started. They've gotten too hard to keep going with and manage in terms of just scope. Because we keep having to make more and our seamstress can only make so many. <laughs> um, so this will be the last bag project in that regard. But uh, you can put your book in there. You'll be able to put the GM screen you get in there. You'll be able to put all the reference cards and things like that. It'll be like a nice little carry case if you want to take it to a con or throw it in your bag. It'll be a bag inside your bag. Boom. Keep it all contained. Like my, uh, you can't see it on my shelf. Those are my bags up there from previous Kickstarters. Uh, okay. Podcast folks, you can't see this and I'm sorry. But they're roughly like nine by six fleece bags with a drawstring that close around the book and all the pieces. But I've got like note cards. I got a copy of the book, usually two copies, pen, seven or eight pencils, a bunch of dice. Like I can fit a full play group for conventions or play testing or travel in one of those bags and roll. Cool. Okay. So, so your books are also, you're going to print in that kind of what, yep. six by nine digest size. Uh, our, our books are the digest size. They're uh, five and a half by eight and a half. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say like, uh, yep. Eh, yeah. That size. Yep. Pretty much like Cyborg, as you wave it in front of me. <laughs> Cyborg, well, that was the one that came off the top of the stack. I've got three or four over there. Such a cool game. Oh, it is, though. It I is. It. I love that game. I've had to refrain from reading it and playing it, even though I want to, because I've been working on Tiny Cyberpunk, and I don't want to <laughs> oh. be unduly influenced. Uh, uh, it, you got to get to that at some point. I, I do it'll be the first thing I run once I'm done. It's. I am eager to play it. I've run it a couple times now and it is fantastic. fantastic. Uh, don't taunt me. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm just being completely honest with you. Yeah. Fair enough. Oh yeah. It, it, it just, I mean, it drips attitude and I feel like because they really leaned into that, if you want to call it chaotic layout that they use so much in like Morkborg, but I feel like it, it actually enhances that book even yeah. more. Yeah. Um, it really works well. All right. Dang it. Yeah. I needed another cyberpunk game. Like I needed a hole in the head. <laughs> hey, and this one's at least hey, easy to this grab. Might be and... the last cyberpunk game you need. It won't be because yeah. we're all RPG addicts. But we can Look, pretend. 
I I don't even know how many different cyberpunk titles I own currently. Let me check my, let me check my spreadsheet. Hang on. <laughs> oh, you have a spreadsheet to keep track of your games? Oh yeah, because I keep buying ones I already own. Fair. I should probably I, do something like that. I have a my basement is just bookshelves of RPGs. I have several thousand at this point. Uh, uh, I wish. I, I wish I, I had have over, over two hundred and seventy cyberpunk genre books according to my classification system on my spreadsheet. I was thinking more in terms of system than title, personally, because I have at least one I don't even have yet. Probably two and a half to three dozen distinct systems. So yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I think you've got me beat. Yeah. <laughs> I have a problem. No. No. It's not a problem. I can, I can quit anytime. Right, exactly. You only need one book to play RPGs ever. Everyone, we only need one. Yeah, and that's the one that hasn't come yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I always tell my wife, like, hey, when I die, I don't want you to give my books away. I would like to be burned like a Viking funeral pyre on my books, please. Nobody, I spent years collecting these. Nobody else can have them. <laughs> She has yet to ever agree to that, so I'm going to put it in the will. <laughs> See, I want like the exact opposite. I want all of my RPG books donated to a library. In in all seriousness, I would absolutely prefer if my books went somewhere where they could, you yeah. know, yeah. maybe we'll start the Alan Barr RPG Memorial Library or something. Hey, I'll donate my books there then. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, is there so is there anything else before we move into the sort of wrapping up segments of the podcast? Is there anything else you'd like to shout out about, you know, whether it be Tidy Cyberpunk, Gallant Night Games, whatever you got? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one, you know, we're a small press. I am the only employee, it is my full time job. So if you feel the urge to buy a meal's worth of RPGs, you know, Gallant Night Games and myself and my dogs will appreciate it. You can message me and tell me, and I will give my dogs a treat. That is a guarantee. Um, so you will directly reward my puppies by buying my games. Uh, but two, uh, we are reprinting Tiny Dungeon because we're out of retail edition versions of it. So it's still on drive through and stuff, but we're reprinting it. And so Tiny Cyberpunk backers can right now get it for $10 in hardcover with the PDF. It will retail for $35. So but like, it is a $10, 200-page hardcover with PDF as an add-on for the Kickstarter, only the Kickstarter. So if you're like, I want the newest errated, you know, typos fixed edition of Tiny Dungeon, 10 bucks, boom. There you go, Steve. There you go. <laughs> you are, he, he is, and I'm not going to lie, he is the biggest, and I'm not, I'm calling you out here, you are the biggest sucker for those. If I, if I kickstart this, I can get like six more games with it. <laughs> well, okay, look, <laughs> I really, really wanted this, mm-hmm. but... I got this as an add-on. <laughs> I have certainly never done that in my life once ever. No, no, I didn't. Uh, it's not how I ended up with Mutant Year Zero and T2K. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> no anyway, no, no. <laughs> so it, and you'll be able to combine shipping. It's a pretty good deal. So if you're hearing this and there's still time, that's why I say run, don't walk. <laughs> yep. Um, also, I'm curious, you, you hinted at a little something there about uh, the forthcoming project with OpenD6, et cetera. Do you want to talk about that at all? That I would be happy to come on when we're closer to launch and okay. record something specifically. Um, but we need to be a little farther down the road and I need to check in with my licensors before we do that. So okay, I have to politely decline that, but I will happily come back when the time is right. And we'll happily have you back on when the time mm-hmm. is right. 
Yeah. Is that, there anything? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Steve. I was just going to say that that's, you know, the, the old mm-hmm. WEG system really had some cool stuff that, well, I mean, you know, it originated out of what the original Ghostbusters game. By which, Chaos, designed by Greg Stafford from Chaosium, actually. I thought that was Sandy, not, not Greg. They were both involved. Okay. You know, but then you had obviously the Star Wars. You had the Men in Black game, which someday I'm going to run at a convention just because it'll be fun. Um, Absolutely. You know, but yeah, that was a really cool system for its time, I think. And, and yeah, anyway. Yeah. And so is there anywhere you would like to be found? Is there any, you know, you'd mentioned Blue Sky earlier. Where should the people follow yeah. you and Gallant Night Games? Gallant Night Games is on Facebook. We have an official Facebook group. We have our Discord where I'm very active. Um, that's probably the place I'm most active directly if you want to interact with me. If you want to know what the company is doing, Facebook is fine. Our Blue Sky is fine. Um, I am on Blue Sky. It's at alanbar.net is my Blue Sky handle. So you can find me there. Um, that's my only public social media. I don't, I, I like my privacy. So I tend to, Fair. I, I keep my Facebook private and, you know, I try to have a little bit of me space. Being a constantly online creator makes it hard, so I try to draw some lines. I, and I can vouch for your your presence on your Discord server because I stumbled in there last night, and none other than you yourself said hello. I try to, if timing permits, say hello as much as I can when people show up. Oh, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Games. If you want to see Tiny Cyberpunk, our Patreons have had a work-in-progress draft for a couple weeks now. They've been able to play it as fully playable as most of the rules. So, you know show up there give me a couple bucks a month and you can get all kinds of cool stuff they just got a whole new unrelated game yesterday so my wallet doesn't <laughs> like you i'm sorry but if it helps you feel better it goes right into paying for awesome art and we pay a really great ethical wage we pay 12 cents a word or higher the industry average is about six um our artists get to set their rates our editors set their rate like we do our best to pay people a living wage in the game industry because they deserve it so your your money is not just helping me, but it is going right back out into other creators who you like. So and you have puppies. So and you, the, the you treats. <laughs> so uh, all right. So now that you've separated me from more of my money, at least it's, it's time for game of, <laughs> game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. Time to separate you from more money, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This this segment has become. Uh, somewhat infamous in certain listener circles because they keep going, why do you keep telling us about these things and making us spend more money? Hey, I'm not, nobody's making you spend more money. Uh, I know. You seem like an adult. I'm I'm not going to claim you are. I don't know you well enough. Yeah, if somebody's making you spend more money on RPGs and you don't willingly want to do it, then you have a problem. (laughs) Also, blink twice and we'll help. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, we will gladly take some of those RPGs that you've purchased off. I will, of your I will camp out and redirect your mail to myself. I got you covered. <laughs> I got you, bro. <laughs> Worried about the packages arriving? I got you. They come to my house. It's okay. <laughs> I, I, will, I will open them all and check them to make sure you don't actually end up with any RPGs. I, right? I, and, and then forward everything else on. I got you covered. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Steve, I'm sure explained a little bit of how he game did. of the week works earlier in the in the, 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 the earlier before we started recording. With that, I'll go ahead and get us rolling here with mine. Okay, Ooh, I'm excited. I have a game called The Winter Hell by Jacob 
Lachance. And let me throw it up in the green room here. You have a green room? It's yes, like we do. two channels up from the voice chat. Whoa. Yep. How cool is that? That is the best thing we ever did. <laughs> it also makes... known as this way, I have the links when I do the show notes. <laughs> oh, that looks cool. It does. So, um, basic okay. description. I think I just bought something. <laughs> <laughs> the basic description is a frozen apocalypse has forced humanity uh, off of the planet's surface and into cramped underground cities where they dig for the heat of the planet's core. Uh, the work is slow and dangerous. The people are cold and hungry. And in the face of a subterranean, subterranean home that yields little in the way of food or hope, and so they look once again to the surface. Adventurers armed with, or adventurers armed with ramshackle equipment and bravely bravery. I can't talk today. Depart onto the expeditions into the winter hell. This looks freaking cool. And with us coming into the cold months, I want to run a game that is about the winter hell because the winter hell is about upon us. <laughs> I, I live in North Dakota, so I'm down. This looks awesome. Um, it is, you know, this is a it's it's a single creator, so it looks like the author and the artist are the same person, which is impressive because the art is really nice. Yeah, fourteen ninety nine gets you the PDF. Eighty nine eighty four gets you the hardcover. I guessing that's probably print on demand. Um, but yeah, something to check out. The Winter Hell. Yeah, that does look pretty neat. Yeah, I just added it to my drive-through cart. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it also comes with, and I like this. It comes with tokens and assets for Roll Twenty. Yeah. So that's really cool. That is definitely the way of the future. Yeah. Oh yeah, since there's a bunch of free maps, character sheets, and tokens, other resources available. Cool. And looks like it runs off six siders. So yeah. All right, sir. Would you like to go next, or would you like me to? Sure. Uh, am I allowed to? What am I? What? I can pick anything I want. We're good to go. Pretty anything? Much, yeah. 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 I, the I'm only just... unofficial rule is we don't do Watsy, but you don't seem like you're that into that. So it's only unofficial anyway. So. Right. Um, let me see here. And if it's a cool enough Watsy product, we might be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, 5e is a great game when I travel or move because I always have somebody to find, I can always find a group and play, right? And then start yeah. peeling them off into other stuff. So, <sighs> if you can, if you can, it's not that hard. You just have to figure out what they like. I've got a stack of 5e stuff over here in the corner. I'll admit it. And there's some great stuff. Like, I'm a big fan of the Iron Kingdom setting from Privateer. 5e like i one of my first 3.5 things was the old iron kingdoms and so seeing it come back for 5e felt like coming home it was good mm -hmm. anyway uh yeah so i am going to uh my favorite game is by a friend of mine alex from black Oath entertainment um it is called across a thousand dead worlds and it is this industrial horror science fiction RPG where you are being sent via space rocket pod to various asteroids that are infested with maybe demons or aliens or whatever to mine precious supplies and then get back home before your oxygen runs out. Well, I just bought this. You can it can be played solo. It can be played with a group. Uh, it's a fantastic toolbox toolkit. It's just a great game. Um, and full disclosure, like I said, Alex is a good friend of mine. We've worked together on stuff. We will work together on stuff in the future. 
but I don't I don't get any money for this. I just really like the game. So you got a link for this just because I need. Yes, to I am grabbing it right now for you. Unless you got one. I will get it here as soon as Discord decides to cooperate. There we go. My typing and drive through search don't get along well. <laughs> there we go. Ooh, that. Looks yeah. Really yeah. That's why I was like, ah, this is going in the bag. Yeah. <laughs> It's fantastic. So, and all of Alex's stuff is great. Like he's got this MMO inspired solo game, Rift Breakers. He has Sacrifice, which is this Berserk meets Dark Souls style solo game with the war game that goes with it. Broken Shores, which is like Waterworld, but this post-apocalyptic fantasy hellscape, all kinds of cool stuff. So, uh, but I really love uh, Across a Thousand Dead Worlds. Very cool. Very cool. I, I dislike you a little bit more every time you talk about another game. I'm sorry. <laughs> this just, looks cool as shit. Oh, I'm yeah. Done. Check this out. This is well, very, what do you? Yeah, go ahead. I, very sorry? much in my wheelhouse. I spend a lot of time reading and studying games because I want to be as informed as I can be because I love them. So, like, I, I'm a bad person to know if you don't want to spend money on cool <laughs> games because I will always have something to pull out of my head that you haven't heard of. No, that's All right, hang perfectly on acceptable. I just on closed this the tab that I had my game open on. Oh no. That's okay. I put it in my but, uh, wish list already. So I can uh <laughs> I I'll also pitch uh I just released GVW, which is a Morkborg powered nineties extreme wrestling hack. So if you wanna hit people with light tubes and put them through tables a la the old nineties ECW stuff uh in a Morkborg setting, it's on it's on drive through now. <sighs> it's much cheaper than the other games I'm recommending. <laughs> All right, so I stumbled across something. Um, it's actually not been out even quite a month yet, and I don't even know if this is technically a game in its own right. Uh, it builds itself, let me drop a link here for you, as a ultralight collaborative storytelling mechanic. It's a thing, it's called The Loud Moment. It is pay what you want with a suggested price of $9. But it's basically, I, I'm guessing based on the, the listing that it's it's basically just a series of prompts that drive off of playing cards. And it, to me, just looks like, because I love those things that are like just imagination fuel. You know what I mean? Like prompts and, and, and it's not literally telling you the thing. It's saying something like this, because that's where my brain takes it and goes, oh yeah, something like that. But with this... And then this, and then, and I'm off down the trail. And so like, this is, you know, it's, it's calling itself part collaborative, inspirational storytelling device, part tribute to Avery Alder for the, like the quiet year and part madcap fast forward button for any role player. And like, it just feels like something, you know, the, the, the image of the cover looks vaguely steampunk sci-fi something but i mean i don't know it just looks really interesting and like you could add it on to damn near anything so that's what i'm gonna go with it's called the loud moment that's awesome yeah that looks cool cool yeah it really does Ugh, that's a bummer i don't have to buy that <laughs> well thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking to us to talking to us today oh my goodness i can't talk today it was absolutely my pleasure. Well, yeah, thank you, though. Especially considering, you know, I contacted you about this all of uh, 24 hours ago. Hey, it's all good. I know how this stuff goes. So, <laughs> Yeah, Nova was like, uh, 
you should reach out. And I was like, okay. So I passed it along to Steve. I was like, hey, you should reach out. And Steve was like, hey, we're recording tonight with Alan. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, I mean, sorry. No, it's but okay. It's, sorry. Yeah, I don't actually feel bad. It's it's actually like I love a quick turnaround on guests because I often forget that we're reaching out to people. And then Steve goes, oh, hey, by the way, we're talking to so-and-so tonight. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. What did they have? <laughs> right. No, I uh, well, and this was the option if we want to try to get people to get a chance to get in on it. So, you know. Yeah, that's perfect. I, I'm really glad you came on tonight. I hope to have you on in the near future to talk about yeah. whatever you can talk about, even if it's just to come and yap to us for a little while. I, you know how to find me. So, but uh, with all that being said, uh, we want to thank everyone for listening. Remind you that we have a Discord. If you want to support the show and can't really pay any money towards us, that's fine. Hop on our Discord, give us a rating on iTunes or any of the podcatchers that you use. All of the any anywhere you can leave us a rating would be appreciated. Uh, it helps promote the show to other people, for other people to find us, to grow our community, to make this show even better, bigger, stronger. Our community is what what drives us. Uh, speaking of which, we are community supported. Uh, if you want to, you can throw us a little, couple bucks on Patreon. Um, links to everything, as always, are down in the show notes. And we want to remind everyone to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast, on Discord at Me and Steve RPGs, and as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you, and be kind to one another. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You gotta go down the street to the store and buy that.